Now, some of you know the highly anticipated Star Wars movie, Rogue One, uh, premiered this past Thursday. I admit that I am a Star Wars fan for the entertainment and sentimental value. Although I may not agree with the theology of the movie, I could not wait to see this very much hype movie. And so I went on Tuesday to buy tickets. I planned to watch it at the new Lazy Boy Theater at Fisher Mall. I'm not advertising uh, for them. But I heard they opened up. They have Lazy Boy, ticket, uh, Lazy Boy Theater seats and unlimited popcorn and drinks. And so not only was I excited about the movie, I was more excited about the unlimited popcorn and drinks. So on Tuesday, when my wife went to shop, uh, I went to buy the tickets uh, for opening day two days later, knowing that all the showings will be sold out, would be very full. When I went to buy tickets at the location, the guard would not let me into the ticketing area and told me, Sir, all of the cinema staff at Fisher Mall is at a Christmas party. You have just missed them by five minutes. I said, how can this be? This is only 8 o'clock in the evening. I missed them by five minutes. Could you not call one of them back just to sell me this ticket? And I thought in the back of my mind, there would be no way that I could watch it. I don't have the time to stand in line to buy the tickets. Thursday is the only open evening I have every other evening until Christmas is fully booked in my schedule. And so I noticed that there were some people inside. And so I sweet-talked the guard, please let me in, uh, and I want to talk to them. Well, I made it inside and talked to some of those who work there, or perhaps were uh, doubling duty, backing up those who were at the Christmas party. And uh, because the Lazy Boy Sofa Theater was so new, they were not selling the tickets online, and you could not buy it at the main theater area. And they were selling the tickets manually, I heard. So I thought I had a chance. And, and so I pleaded with them, please, can you just sell me these two tickets? Just, I just need two tickets. Uh, but they could not since the sales staff was all, were all at the party. But they said, sir, the best we can do is we can show you the seating plan. We can show you the times on Thursday, and we can show you the seating plan in which tickets are taken. Uh, it didn't help because when I saw uh, the seating plan for the times that were available on Thursday, the opening day, I was disheartened. The only seats that were available were those that no one wanted, way up on the top or way up in the front. Um, the seats I wanted were, of course, center aisle and eye level. And they were gone. I was okay to take uh, those uh, awkward seats, uh, but even that I could not do. So I came back to the car, waiting for my wife, a very bit upset. And I thought to myself, I was only there 10 minutes before and I began to think some unreasonable thoughts. Why did they have to have their Christmas party this Tuesday? Didn't they know I was coming? Could they not have their Christmas party another day? A bit later in the evening, who has their Christmas party at 8? Don't they want my money? And you begin to think these kind of goofy, crazy thoughts centered upon, of course, myself. I expressed these frustrations to my wife when she came back unhappier that she had bought more things with my money. So it just was not a good evening for me. I found a, a sliver of time the next day to swing by again. And I went to the ticket counter for the sofa seat theater. It was especially blocked off. I made uh, some sarcastic snide remark about, I hope you enjoyed your Christmas party last night. And I said, I'd like the 9 o'clock showing, please. And they brought out the seat plan, and of course, everything was X'd. Everything was taken. I said, I'd really like this showing, and suddenly uh, one of uh, the agent's friends came alongside and said, Oh, two seats just became available. Uh, these individuals have just returned their tickets uh, because something came up for them. And, sir, would you like these tickets? And they were centered, aisled, and eye-level. And I bought those tickets immediately. If I had bought the tickets the previous night, the ticket and the seat I would have had would not have been the great seats that I was able to enjoy on Thursday night. Now, how do you explain something like that? Uh, some would subscribe it to chance or luck. 
But if you look from a theological lens, if you look from a biblical lens, and if you know who God is, then you have to say that it is the sovereign plan of God that you were able to get the tickets that you wanted. Even in something as small as buying a movie ticket. Now, why do I say that? I say that because God has revealed himself in the great incarnation when God took on human form as the God who is sovereign. That's what he wanted mankind to know about who he was. And so if you have your Bibles this morning, I'd like you to turn with me to the very familiar Luke chapter 2 as we exposit verses 1 to 7 this morning. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. And as you're turning to this passage... If you don't know what sovereignty is, or you don't understand what God's sovereignty means, it is God's right to rule. Sovereignty refers to the fact that God is in control of all things that go on in this universe. Now you may wonder, how in the world does being born as a helpless baby proclaim the sovereignty of God? A baby is helpless. How in the world does a helpless baby proclaim the greatness and sovereignty of a God who is in control of everything? Well, let's take a look this morning as we continue our sermon series entitled More Than a Manger, as we look at the incarnation story and what it reveals about God. We remember that the Christmas story is simply more than about a manger or the star or the shepherd or the wise men. It is about the revelation of who God is. And in this section of the birth narratives, the scriptures reveal the God who is sovereign. I'm sure that as you have read through Luke chapter 2 many a times, you've never thought about the fact that it reveals the sovereignty of God. That's probably the last thing you would think of. And as we talk about God's sovereignty, as a side note, I want to make it abundantly clear that God's sovereignty in no way negates human responsibility. The Bible teaches both sovereignty and human responsibility, and we are all responsible for our thoughts and our words and our actions, and we will be judged one day. For the believer at the judgment seat of Christ, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, talks about that. For the unbeliever, the great white throne judgment, as the book of the Revelation tells us. Well, what can we learn about God's sovereignty in the birth narratives? Let's take a look. Verse 1 to 3 of Luke chapter 2. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Luke tells us that at the time when Augustus was Caesar, there was a law, there was an edict that came all the way far off from imperial Rome more than 2,300 kilometers as a crow flies from Jerusalem. And this law says that a census is to be taken. They would count all the people that lived in the Roman world. And the counting of the people was to do one thing, was for the purpose of taxing the people. So they would count all the people to tax them. And that's why in the old King James, if you've memorized Luke chapter 2, verse 1 to 7, you memorized it as Caesar Augustus, that all the world should be taxed. It's the same idea. Imagine how that made the oppressed and subjugated people of the Roman world felt, especially to the Jewish people who hated their Roman oppressors. And imagine to be told from a capital 2,300 kilometers away that you all need to return back to your hometowns so that we can count you to tax you, how would you feel? They would feel very helpless. Anger would begin to boil. There was nothing they could do about it. And this decree, if they thought about it, would be to add to the rich coffers of a government that was controlling them from afar, corrupt, and gave them very few rights, if any at all. But Rome ruled with such an iron fist that they were able to enforce the rule that everyone returned to their own hometown to be counted to pay more taxes. Now we read Luke chapter 2, we read it with such familiarity that we assume that it's natural that it would happen. But this is 
almost a ridiculous law if you can think about it. Let me give you a modern-day example. Imagine if the Philippine government passed the law that it said all the foreign workers, the, all the OFWs living in the U.S., Canada, and the Middle East had to fly back to the Philippines this December at their own expense and then travel to their hometown to register so that they could pay more taxes. How many OFWs and foreign workers do you think would return? Probably none. Now, if the government paid for their flight back, perhaps some. But if they got to pay with their own expenses to come back, no way. Would you do it? I'm sure you wouldn't come back. For most, they would simply ignore it. And yet, such was the power and the dominance of the Roman Empire that people all across the Roman world did what they were told to do. When we read verse 1 to 3, many of us may wonder why God didn't seem to be helping his own people. And we often wonder the same thing in our own lives. Why doesn't God help us? Why would God allow such a thing to happen by the evil, godless Roman Empire? And yet, if you look closely, especially in verse 3, you see the hand of God. Where do you see it? Look at that little phrase at the end of verse 3. So all went to be registered, note this, everyone to his own city. Everyone went to his own city. If Mary and Joseph headed their way, let me ask you, where do you think they would want Jesus to be born? At where? Of course, Nazareth. That was where they lived. If Joseph and Mary headed their way, Jesus would be born in Nazareth, not in Bethlehem. And yet, more than 700 years before his birth, the prophet Micah, a minor prophet, an obscure prophet, you could call him, in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, had prophesied that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. I want you to remember a few weeks ago when we talked about the angel Gabriel speaking the truth of Mary giving birth to the Savior to Mary. Did Gabriel ever tell Mary where the child must be born? Think. In Luke chapter 1, when the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary, did Gabriel tell Mary, you must go to Bethlehem? No, he did not. He only told Mary, you must call him Jesus. So they don't know where Jesus is to be born. Now imagine this. God orchestrated a worldwide census for tax purposes in order to get Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem to fulfill what many people would call an obscure prophecy. It's only mentioned once in the entire Old Testament about the location of Jesus' birth. And yet God needed them to be in Bethlehem. So that's what he did. Now you may think, whoa, well, hang on there. Could God not have sent Gabriel a second time to Mary? It would have been so easy. Just tell Mary, Mary, you need to have this child in Bethlehem. They were obedient people. But God didn't do it that way. You see, God wanted to reveal in the incarnation that he is a God who is sovereign. And specifically, number one, if you're taking notes, that he is sovereign over events. God revealed in the birth of Jesus Christ that he is sovereign over all events. And God uses the events of history and he uses the events in our own lives to direct things in accordance with his will. I am sure that when Mary and Joseph first heard this new law, this new edict, they weren't happy about it. In fact, they probably thought, what a hassle. What an inconvenience. I'm about to give birth. Why do I have to go back on this certain time to be registered for taxes, taxing purposes? And yet, that is what God did to get them to go to Bethlehem. What they didn't know was that God was orchestrating all of this to show that he was sovereign and that he was sovereign over all events. So if you ever wonder why your government does this or does that, and you're very frustrated by it, 
or why your company or your bosses makes this or that decision, especially if you don't agree with them and you're utterly frustrated by those new rules. Perhaps the knowledge that God is sovereign over all events can assure you that God has allowed it to accomplish a purpose. You see, Romans chapter 13, the entire chapter, tells us that all authority is appointed by God. It may not be a purpose or an event that is readily apparent to us. It may not be something that we agree with or understand. But some way and somehow, those decisions and those events have a purpose in the great plan of God for our lives. And if we can understand this truth, it will challenge us to trust Him more. You see, you may ask the question, how does knowing that God is sovereign over all events affect your life? It challenges you to place your trust in Him. You and I can trust God in what He is doing. If He has the power to allow a ruler sitting 2,300 kilometers away to make a law with the intention of earning more money not knowing that God has used it with the ultimate purpose to get Mary and Joseph to walk 115 kilometers from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Why would God do that? I don't know. But He did it to show forth His sovereignty. And I have no right to question what He is doing because He is sovereign and He knows what He is doing. He knows what He is doing. We may not understand, and I am sure there were many all across the Roman world who wondered why they would institute another census, and there were multiple throughout the reign of Caesar Augustus. But why now? Some thought, we just had one. But if they looked through the lenses that God looks at, it was so that Mary and Joseph could have Jesus born in Bethlehem in fulfillment of a prophecy 700 years before. A lot of you have been praying for my mother, and I want to thank you on behalf of our family. Your prayers and, your, uh, and the prayers of those around the world have been very effective, and I haven't given a lot of updates. It's not uh, the place or the time, oftentimes. Uh, and yet, uh, we do want to share with you some good news. Uh, the primary tumor uh, that was measured initially at 4.2 centimeters initially shrank to 3.2 centimeters in October, and in the latest ultrasound last week, was not detectable. The cancer that had spread to the skin, which had covered an area of more than 10 centimeters, is almost invisible. As the doctor's own words describes it, on the verge of detectability. And so we praise God for what He's doing in answering prayers. And there's still lots more tests to do, especially the first two months of the new year, to decide if surgery is still needed or not, uh, and what is the further course of treatment, things like radiation or whatnot. But as it is with cancer, and for those of you who have family members or you yourself having undergone it, no one really knows if it will come back again or not. Yes, the tumor is shrinking or has shrunk, but what if there is a missed free radical or a bad cell that was not eradicated? Or perhaps, as the doctors are focusing on the area where they first spotted the tumors, maybe it's already spread to another primary organ, having been staged at 3B, malignant, aggressive. And sometimes when I hear the good news, I'm a bit skeptical. Because... I tried to look through a silver lining of saying, God, what lesson are you trying to teach me and to teach our family? And of course, I would say the lesson of trust. Lord, you have taught me the lesson of trust to trust you. But Lord, I would ask, why did you have to give my mother cancer to teach me the lesson of trust? I know about trust. I preach about trust. And the uncertainty of journeying with someone who's going through cancer is the uncertainty of waiting for the test results and the uncertainty of waiting and not being absolutely sure 
that which was supposedly eradicated 15 years ago having come back, will it come back again? And you see, the deeper lesson that I've come to these past few days is a lesson of trust and yet trusting not in the outcome, but trusting in the person. You see, a lot of us talk about trust and we trust God only the outcome is how we want it. Yes, Lord, I trust you. Make sure it's a good result. If it's a good result, I'll trust you even more. But God says throughout the scriptures, trust in me. Trust in my character. Trust in who I am. Not trust in the results or the outcome. It's a difficult lesson, but cancer does just that. It teaches the lesson of trust, but the object of trust is in the person, not in the outcome. And we can trust in a God, in his person, because he is sovereign over all events. You see, for those who were living in the Roman world, they would often look through the lenses of results. Another taxation. God, where are you? Why do you allow something like this to happen? How can we trust in a God who continues to use a foreign government to oppress us? And yet when we look through the lenses of God, God says, I am sovereign over all events. I can use something like this for a better purpose. And that is to orchestrate it so that Mary and Joseph could fulfill biblical prophecy so that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. And so I may not understand exactly why my mother's cancer came back. And why, with great news today, I still have some doubt, but I am slowly learning the lesson of trusting not in the outcome, but trusting in the person. Because he is sovereign over all events. Look at verse 4 to 6. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. Mary and Joseph did what was mandated by law and traveled to Bethlehem. As I brought up the question last week, I've often asked myself the question, why is Joseph so irresponsible that he did not plan ahead and arrive in Bethlehem earlier to find a room in an inn for his soon-to-deliver wife? Because who in their right minds travel with a woman who is about to give birth? You would at least make the special effort to get there a bit earlier. Or perhaps some may say, well, it's so unfortunate that they arrive the very day that Mary gives birth. The timing is all wrong. What's up with that? But you know, when you read the verses as it is written, and we don't get our Christmas story from the TV shows or the postcards or the pictures we see, these verses don't seem to indicate exactly how far in advance Joseph and Mary arrived. Perhaps Joseph was a wonderful husband and soon-to-be father, and he did plan far in advance to get there earlier. But by virtue of Bethlehem being a very small town, there were very few inns in the entire place, and he struggled as he went from inn to inn to inn to look for a place. Or do you ever think about it this way? Perhaps Jesus was born a bit earlier than they anticipated. The scriptures allow for that. Horror the thought that someone would say Jesus was born premature. But perhaps Jesus came a bit earlier. I want you to look at verse 6. Look at the phrase. So it was that while they were there in Bethlehem, note this phrase, the days were completed for her to be delivered. The days were completed. The days were accomplished that she should give birth. We are not told that Mary reached nine months, 40 weeks. We are not told that the birth was premature. What is important is not how many weeks she carried to term Jesus. What is important is that 
when it was God's time for him to be born, Jesus was born. That's what the verse is saying. When the days were completed, when it was God's time, it was God's time. You see, God wasn't panicking that Mary and Joseph walked too slow. Hurry, Mary and Joseph, hurry. You should have left a day earlier. Get there to Bethlehem quicker so that you can get the last room at the last inn before the other guy. Right? God isn't worried that they're walking too slow, that they started their journey too early or too late. Because the Bible tells us in God's sovereignty, Jesus came into the world in his perfect timing. And there it is, that phrase. When the days were accomplished, when the days were completed, when it was God's time for the baby to be born, the baby was born. You see, the incarnation is a revelation of who God is. And God reveals himself as one who is sovereign. And specifically, number two, if you're taking notes, a God who is sovereign over time. A God who is sovereign over time. And so appropriate to express this truth that God is sovereign over time with the delivery of a baby. Let me ask you this. Before the days of ultrasound, before the days you can induce labor, is there ever a wrong time when a baby is naturally born? And the answer is no. The baby comes... When the baby comes. It's as simple as that. You would be the most amazing doctor if you could predict to the day when a child would be naturally born. And so we give them a range because the average is about 40 weeks. And so we tell the couple, be ready. Anywhere from 36 to 48 weeks. Well, maybe 48 is a little bit long. But 40 to 42, I'm not a doctor. But the, the truth is, when the baby comes, the baby comes. It arrives. Whether you've got the party ready or not, whether you have the room prepared or not, if the baby is to be born naturally, it comes when it comes. You remember the story of a woman on Cebu Pacific from Dubai to Manila in August of this year? Uh, do you remember that uh, she gave birth on board the plane and they had to reroute the plane to India? And she delivered uh, safely, a very healthy baby, but she delivered two months early. And if you followed this very interesting story, as a reward, the child was given one million miles on Cebu Pacific. One million miles, imagine that. The reward for having a baby on an airplane. If I had known this, I would have had Cindy fly around the world. The last two months of her pregnancy... With the chance, with the chance of delivering on board an airplane. Definitely not Cebu Pacific, because I don't need a million miles there. But Singapore Airlines, it'd be great. I even hear that some airlines give that child and the mother free lifetime of flights. That is the reward of delivering a child on a plane. Unfortunately, in God's timing, our children were born in a hospital. We had to cash out instead of getting any reward. But of all the pictures to express God's sovereignty over time, you don't get a more perfect picture than the birth of a baby. God is sovereign over time. The timing of certain events as, is as it should be. Things do not happen too early. Things do not happen too late in the eyes of God. They happen in His perfect time. You know, there are a lot of people who live with regrets. They regret and they complain. And they think about what could have been if only they were five minutes earlier. If they had arrived an hour later. If they had made an arrangement a day before. If they had made a decision a week later. And there's a lot of people who constantly worry, worried about what could have been and the mistakes they may have made because they didn't do something earlier or later, so on and so forth. Can I just say that is a waste of your time? Worrying about the timing of the actions that you could have or should have taken is a waste of time. Because God's timing is always 
perfect, it is always perfect because he's sovereign over time. When I met Cindy in the summer of 2001 in Cebu, uh, our church, as many of you know, had our summer conference in Cebu that year. And I met her for the first time. What many of you don't realize is that there was a chance I could not have met her. Uh, as you know, she is very beautiful, and uh, during that time, many were courting her, even from other provinces and other islands. There was a young man who wanted uh, to pay her a visit, uh, and he had planned uh, to visit her over the Holy Week uh, to pay his respects uh, to her parents and to court her. But unfortunately, to reasons unknown to me uh, and to her, she, he was unable to secure a boat ticket over the Holy Week. The explanation was all the boats were full. Perhaps he had waited a day too late, uh, and by the time he went to go purchase the ticket, it was all full. Because if he had come, Cindy would have been obligated to entertain him. He had come all the way from another island. And if she was entertaining him, she would not have been able to be part of the hosting team that hosted me and took care of me the week after the summer conference. And because he could not secure a ticket in time, we met, and the rest is history. Now, I can only imagine, I kind of feel sorry for him. Not really, but when I put myself in his shoes, I do feel sorry for him. He did come a few months later, actually, and uh, imagine his surprise when he finally got a ticket and came over to Cebu, only to have Cindy tell him, I'm so sorry, I already have a boyfriend. But imagine the frustration of not being able to get a ticket to visit someone you really like, or you just missed it, that opportunity, by a few days or a few moments. But then, maybe not in his perspective, but in my perspective, God's timing is perfect. How does knowing that God is sovereign over time really help and assure us? Because the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 3 tells us there is a time for everything. And therefore, we don't need to worry in our lives that somehow our life will be prematurely taken or somehow we can outrun God's time for us to be lived here on earth. There is a day appointed when God will call us home. It will not happen before. It will not happen after. It will happen at His appointed day. So why worry? In God's time, we will find a spouse. In God's time, we will have that child. And if it doesn't happen, then it is not yet God's time. And you may be crying out, but Lord, when? When? If you trust His sovereign, perfect will, and that He is sovereign over time, then you don't need to worry about that. Because His decision is foundationed on His love. Remember what we talked about last week? Before the creation of this world, God has prepared a Savior even before we have fallen because He loved us. His decisions for the timing of certain situations is based on His love. So rest assured, don't worry so much. In God's time, things will resolve itself. I like Isaiah chapter 60, verse 22. It says this in the New Living Translation. At the right time, I, the Lord, will make it happen. Isn't that great? Isaiah 60, verse 22. At the right time, I, the Lord, will make it happen. I don't need to manipulate. I don't need to wander. I don't need to worry. When the time is right, it will happen. God has revealed himself as the God who is sovereign, and he's sovereign over time, so that we can sit back and relax. We will not die a day before God's appointed time. It's a wonderful thought. Verse 7. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. We're told in verse 7 of verse you can probably memorize that Mary gives birth to Jesus and wraps him in swaddling cloth. 
prefiguring his death and puts him in a feeding trough for animals called a manger. When we read this verse, we often focus on that last phrase, because there was no room for them at the inn. Why was there no room in the inn? We simply don't know. Maybe because many had traveled to Bethlehem to register. Maybe there were so few inns. Bethlehem is not a tourist town. And so all were taken before Joseph arrived. But sometimes we think that God has prepared so meticulously about the first advent of Jesus Christ, His first coming, how in the world could he forget not preparing a room for them? Right? Jesus was coming to earth, God taking on human form, and God has prepared from eternity past this amazing event, and he forgets this very most important of detail. They need a place to stay. Could he not have prepared a more fitting place for Jesus Christ to be born? And that's most of our perspective. But I think perhaps we have it a bit wrong. We focus on the fact that there was no room in the inn. But we don't focus from the perspective that God has. Did Jesus have a room? Yes. He had a room. It was a stable of a room. You see, many of us think that there was no room... But in our minds, we're thinking there was no appropriate room. There's not a room that we like. We'd rather stay at the inn than stay at the stable. But there was a room, and the room was a stable. We forget that God has prepared a very kind innkeeper to offer up his animal stable. God prepared a room for them. He prepared an innkeeper to offer up his stable. You know, oftentimes our Christmas story is constructed from the pictures we see. In our minds, uh, that beautiful scene in the stable with Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus. And there were animals there. Right? At least a horse, maybe two sheep, chicken, whatever animal the artist can draw in the stable. Did you ever notice something funny? All the animals are looking at Jesus. That's a miracle. I wish I was there for that scene. All the animals always looking at Jesus that whole evening. They couldn't take their eyes off of Jesus. Is it in the Bible? It's not in here. No animals. No animals. Perhaps the innkeeper, feeling concerned for Mary with child, cleared his stable full of animals so that he could house this wonderful family for the night. Imagine the innkeeper sacrificing the shelter of his own animals, brought them all out so that the Christ child could be born in a place that was tranquil and serene. And you say, where does Pastor Steve get this stuff? You don't believe me? Look at verse 16. And we'll talk about verse 16 next week as we conclude our series. But look at verse 16 for now. When the shepherds came, what did they see? Look at verse 16. And they saw Mary and Joseph and the baby. No mention of animals. You know, this is the most precise writer, the gospel writer, Luke. He's a physician. If Luke wanted to make a point that Jesus was born in the most humble of places, in the dirtiness of the stable, he would have said, and there were animals there, pigs and horses and sheep and whatever else was there in a stable. But he notes that the shepherds only saw Mary and Joseph and the baby. Now let's not worry too much whether the animals were there or not. We can ask Joseph and Mary and Jesus even if we if there were animals in the stable area that day. But, but here's the point I'm trying to make. The point I'm trying to make is that in a similar circumstance, we would blame God that we didn't get a room, that somehow we were late, and the circumstances prevented us from getting a room. But as I noted earlier, we complain because we don't get a room that we wanted. There was a room 
the room was in a stable. The circumstances that God has ordained was that Jesus Christ would be born in a stable. There was no room in the inn. That's what Luke says. But that was to show forth the sovereignty of God that in a city where it was full occupancy everywhere, God was sovereign, that he found the room for them in a stable area just for them so that the Christ child would not be born outside in the elements. Did you ever think about it that way? And one more thing. God provided the room with a perfect makeshift baby bassinet. I want to ask you this. If Joseph and Mary were able to get an inn, would there be a place to put a baby? How many of you have checked into a hotel room, and when you go to the hotel room, you praise God because in the room is a baby crib? Just in case you're going to give birth that night. Anyone? Probably not. If you see a baby crib in your hotel room, you would complain to the manager, they forgot to clean this room and forgot to take the baby bassinet out of the room. Right? And I bet you in the ancient Near East, there were no baby bassinets sitting in the inns just in case someone wanted to give birth. The sovereignty of God over circumstances saw fit that God placed Mary and Joseph in a room where there was a manger that served as a perfect makeshift baby bassinet. This was the day before the Graco baby bassinet foldable travel kit that you bring around. They didn't have that. And so for sure they didn't bring a crib with them. Now what was the occupation of Joseph? He was a carpenter. I'm sure in Nazareth, in anticipation for this child, that Joseph would have crafted the most beautiful of wooden baby cribs. He's a carpenter after all. But I also know, I'm pretty sure, that he did not bring with him that baby wooden bassinet with him from Nazareth to Bethlehem. 115 kilometers lugging a big wooden crib. Perhaps he really thought that Jesus wasn't to be born at that time. But God had already orchestrated it. God had planned it out. It's a wonderful thing to be placed in a room that God had prepared with a bassinet already there. God prepares the circumstances in our life perfect for us. You see, in the incarnation, God revealed himself as one who is sovereign. And number three, God is sovereign over circumstances. God is sovereign over circumstances. In spite of the situation, there being no room, God, sovereign over all circumstances, found a room for them. A kind innkeeper who perhaps even cleared the animals out of that stable. And in that room was a makeshift baby bassinet. You see, the uniqueness of the circumstances that God brings into our life maybe not, maybe, may not be what we accept or understand. But when we accept this truth that the circumstances are under God's sovereign control, it allows us to be appreciative. It allows us to be content. It allows us to live in the moment. Under all circumstances that God throws at us, God who is sovereign allows us to live in the moment knowing that he has orchestrated it. Let me give you an example to put this principle into perspective. How many of you have ever, ever been to an airport immigration line or you go to the grocery checkout counter and what do you do when you look at those lines? You pick a line that you think is the shortest and the quickest, right? We all do that. And so we pick a line and we stand in that line. What do you do in that line? If you're like me, how many of you do this? You look at the other lines. You look at the other lines to see if they're moving faster. Because you're thinking, if they're moving faster, I'm going to the other line. And so we assess the situation 
you know, we count the number of people in front of us. We count the number of people on the other lines to see which one's the shortest, especially the immigration line. We try to take a, a peek at their passport. If they got a passport from a Western country, you know it's going to be pretty fast. If you, they have a country from a troubled country, you know they're going to be questioned for a long time, so you don't want to go in that line. Or at the grocery store, you look at their card to see how much stuff they have, right? And so, so what do we do? We are assessing, and we're looking for another shorter line. And if you're like me, I'll move to what I think is another faster line. And guess what happens? When you make the move, you notice that your immigration agent changes. Or the cash register is broken, or in that shorter line, someone has a problem with a product that doesn't have a price label, so they've got to go and get the price. Or what you thought was a very empty cart, next thing you realize, their son comes with another cart and sneaks in. You know that feeling. And you've already made the decision to go to the other line. And then you look at the original line where you were at, and if you just stayed in that line, you've already been through it's a microcosm of the life that we live. Life oftentimes throws us very unique situation. But instead of just dealing with it and appreciating and embracing it and living the life that God has intended, we try to manipulate the situation, trying to come out ahead, only to realize we should have remained where we were and where God has placed us. When you understand that God is sovereign over all circumstances then the situation that he has put you in is the situation he wants you to be in. I know it may be hard. I know you may say in your mind, but you don't understand, Pastor, what we're going through. I may not understand. We may not understand God's sovereign handiwork. But if we can trust a God who is sovereign over all circumstances, that we can live in the moment. We deal with it in the moment and in the situation and in the circumstances which present itself. In a city where it was full, in every one of the inns, in any one of the hotel rooms, God found a place where Mary and Joseph could be at. He did find room for them. A makeshift baby bassinet. And guess what? He found a place that was free for them. Did you ever think about that? If he found a room for them, they would have to pay. I'm sure they didn't pay to be housed in a stable. Even to find a free place, God orchestrated it. God reveals himself as one who is sovereign. And in the birth narratives, we see that he's sovereign over events, time, and circumstances. The Savior came to bring hope to a hopeless world. And you wonder why he focuses on these three aspects. Because it is these three that we worry about all the time. We worry about events. We worry about time. We worry about circumstances. And God is saying, don't you worry. There is hope. There is peace. Events. We worry about death in the family. We worry about the current president, our current government. We worry about the president and the government of other countries. We worry about the fact that we didn't get into the colleges that we want to. I know some of you are receiving your college entrance exam results today or this past week. Or somehow your plans are falling apart. Or the peso dollar exchange rate isn't what you had anticipated, so it's affecting your business. And the events seem to spiral out of control. God says, do not worry. I am in control. I am sovereign over all events. Perhaps many of you worry about timing. You worry about God's time. Maybe if you had made a decision a day earlier, you had come a week earlier, you were an hour late. You worry about the timing for when your children will be married. You worry about the timing of your own marriage. You worry about when you will have children. You worry about time and when things will fall into place. You worry so much because you are one who worries if doing this will cause you to lose this life. And we worry about everything. And God says, don't worry. I'm sovereign over time. I'm always on time. Never too early, never too late. Always on time. When the days were accomplished, when it was God's time, 
it happen. And many of us worry about the circumstances that come into our life. We worry about the weather. Things we can't control. What will happen if I go on vacation next week and it rains? I've spent so much money, planned such a great vacation, and it rains. Or there's a snowstorm, things are delayed. Things don't go our way. We get sick, we're planning for a trip, we get sick. We get some terrible news. Now perhaps we get cancer. Or someone, we get that phone call and we find out they're sick. And it messes up all of our plans. Or we plan a great event like December 24th, and that evening there is a brownout, and the generator doesn't work. I hope it doesn't, but who knows? And so I can worry about those things of which I have absolutely no control over. And God says, don't worry, because I'm sovereign over all circumstances. And if it happens, it happens. God has revealed himself in that babe of Bethlehem to tell us not to worry. Won't you trust God a little this morning? If he's sovereign over all, can you not sit back and have a Merry Christmas? Merry Christmas. Have a happy one. Because you can sit back and simply trust him. If he has revealed himself to mankind as one who is sovereign over events, times, and circumstances, he is in control. That is why you and I can have a Merry Christmas. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. It is a good reminder even to me. For one who likes to be in control and things that don't go my way, I worry about, or I anticipate things that I have no control over, it is a good reminder that you are a God who is sovereign over all over all time, events, and circumstances as you beautifully orchestrated the birth of your son. Thank you, Lord, for the truths of the scripture which allow us to have the peace that passes all understanding, knowing that nothing happens that you do not allow. So help us to have a Merry Christmas by simply trusting in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.